0: This is the EPFR Exchange Podcast. All opinions expressed by Cam, Todd, and our podcast guests are solely of their own opinion and do not reflect the opinion of EPFR or Informa, its parent company. This podcast is for informational purposes only and should not be relied upon for investment decisions. Hi, everyone, and welcome to the EPFR Exchange Podcast. My name is Todd Willits. I'm joined by EPFR's in-house economist, Cameron Brandt, and we're going to walk you through what our teams were monitoring last week in the various data sets EPFR tracks, as well as what we'll be looking out for in the weeks ahead. Cam, good morning. Uh, I'm assuming the big story from last week has got to be what we saw happen with China equity flows.
1: Uh, yes, I think so. um after eleven weeks and eighteen billion dollars worth of outflows uh, from China equity funds, we saw six billion flow in last week um, the first question most people ask is was there a, some kind of official nudge behind that uh, but i my initial sense is that uh, it was simply investors. Uh, feeling they were missing out on a strong rebound story that was reflected by the nearly 20% gain for the Shanghai Composite uh, since the start of June, and
0: it's interesting. We've recently launched a China-focused uh, share product where we can see the allocations various managers have to those uh, individual share classes of Chinese equities. What sort of information uh, might the the quant team that you lead? look into in regards to these Chinese flows, or the the flows into China funds and the allocations those managers have?
1: Well, there's a a number of ways you can slice that particular new data set, but uh, one of the sort of starting points that my team uses is to look at what the active managers are doing relative to the benchmark. Um, what we've been seeing in recent uh, recent months is uh, a general acceptance that uh, you need a healthy exposure to China, but uh, some doubt about how close you should get to the actual market um, and By that, I mean that there are a number of different Chinese share classes. Um, based either in mainland China or Hong Kong or elsewhere, the US and Singapore. Uh, and what we've seen is the active managers increasing their exposure to China, but doing it not through the heavily promoted A shares and B shares markets, which are the domestic ones, but by increasing. Uh, their allocation to uh, N shares and ADRs listed in the US and S chips from um, Singapore.
0: So more broadly, I know we are looking at a a fairly long outflow streak for those emerging market equity funds that the China equity funds are a part of. Um, Perhaps it was since 2014 the longest uh, the longest outflow streak. What on the EM bond side are we seeing a similar story where we're starting to see assets come back in?
1: Yes, the uh, the bond funds, the emerging markets bond funds, uh, started to regain a little bit of momentum uh, several weeks ago. Um, they obviously represent uh, a yield play for uh, investors who are seriously starved of that particular commodity at the moment. Um, And though there are obviously all kinds of question marks surrounding uh, the credit outlook for emerging markets over the next few months. uh, It remains... Uh, One of the best asset classes to pick up a little extra yield uh, with at least some sovereign guarantees behind some of the assets that you're exposing yourself to.
0: So as most of our listeners know, obviously, EM equity tends to be a a sign of increased risk appetite. But I I did notice there was a little bit of balance there with inflation protected bond funds uh, seeing assets come in as well. Can you tell us a little bit more about that?
1: Yeah, well, I'll start by saying that uh, if you factor out the uh, strong flows to China equity funds, uh, there really wasn't much in the uh, overall uh, emerging markets equity fund flows to suggest a really big jump in risk appetite, Um, uh, some signs of recovery, but uh, not, not a ringing signal despite the large headline number. Um, and, yes, I you know, what I'm seeing in the investor uh, in the flows is <laughs> perhaps the thing that you least like to talk about, which is kind of people sitting on the fence. Uh, there's definitely been some more interest in cyclical sectors um, in the emerging markets uh, and continued interest in high yield bond funds. But it's definitely tempered uh, by some Pretty strong interest in inflation-protected bond funds, uh, some of the more defensive sector fund groups.
0: This has been a, an interesting year so far, to say the least, Cam. I wanted to take a couple minutes to reflect on the first half of the year from uh, from the asset flow and allocation side of things, and then look forward to what trends you think might be. Uh, worth watching, or, or what uh, activities you think we'll, we could expect to see in the second half? So, thinking about the last six months, what do you think are the the three big stories or uh, three big drivers of what we've seen thus far?
1: Um, well, you know, the, the the obvious one is the COVID pandemic, which is hopefully a fairly unique. Uh, event, um, But, uh, you know, the pandemic has uh, uncovered or exacerbated structural issues and stresses in the global economy, um, and it's rekindled uh, U.S.-Chinese uh, tensions on a number of matters. Uh, perhaps the most immediately important um, is uh, trade. Um, But it's also has forced investors to rethink uh, in in a particularly real way uh, what they think the future looks like. Um, And uh, we're certainly seeing in the flows a a pretty broad consensus that the post-pandemic world will not be the same uh, as it was at the beginning of the year uh, and to sort of narrow that very broad statement, um, you know, sectors and fund groups that uh, give you exposure to the greatly increased remote learning, remote working, uh, online shopping, uh, and some technological distancing Um uh, are seeing very strong interest, uh, so are healthcare funds, and I think, you know, a lot of people have decided there is going to be a greater emphasis on health, though they're not quite sure how that will play out. Um, so, you know, I think the, the, the three things are the pandemic itself, the, the stresses that it has uncovered in the global economy or uh, well, that's a, a podcast in its own right, um, and the, the vision of the post-pandemic world that uh, investors are sort of bolting together uh, now that in some countries the worst of the pandemic is uh, – the first wave of the pandemic seems to be over.
0: So to keep it interesting, uh, other than the pandemic – What are the three big drivers you see in the second half of this year that you and the team will be paying attention to?
1: Well, I I start uh, with what we started the podcast uh, with, which is China. Um, Its economy is going to be closely followed as – Uh, hopefully a precursor to the kind of recoveries that uh, other uh, parts of the world emerging from lockdown can hope to emulate. Um, There's no doubt that uh, China is taking some advantage of its um, rapid recovery to uh, flex its geopolitical muscles in various corners, and those always carry risks of generating uh, a bigger backlash than uh, China may be calibrating for. I'm thinking here of uh, tensions along the uh, Himalayan border with India um, and uh, the fact that Korea seems to feel it has a green light to uh, step up uh, it's, at least its rhetorical assault on South Korea. Um, then in terms of other major drivers in the second half of the year, uh, from our particular perspective, I think one of the more interesting things is that the retail investor, uh, mom and pop, uh, uh, the Japanese housewife, et cetera, et cetera, uh, have been much more uh, in evidence uh, uh, in, in the fund flows Uh, especially in the third quarter. Uh, For a variety of reasons, uh, we were seeing a general reduction in retail interest in the market uh, and in mutual fund investing tied to a number of factors, of which I think demographics, uh, retirement was probably the most important. Uh, But with the latest round of policy measures putting an even bigger squeeze Uh, on yields, uh, dividends are drying up all over the place. Um, Retail investors, I think, feel have been forced back into the market Um, and that injects certainly a different element to it, Um, you know, if if you're a financial professional, uh, it makes you anticipate greater volatility uh, and greater momentum in sentiment swings. Uh, And lastly, uh, I think, uh, you know, the U.S. presidential election uh, will uh, have a pretty significant effect, certainly week to week, uh, on fund flows. Um, People tend to invest the presidential race with perhaps more than uh, the winner has any chance of, of delivering or changing. Uh, but this is certainly a, a different sort of year in u s politics as well uh The degree of polarization hasn't been seen for a long long time um, and uh you know if it's a if it's a if we have a, an election result that is tight uh you know it could devolve into a partisan legal morass so Uh, There's certainly much more nervous energy being invested in in the uh, run-up to November's election and what it might mean uh, for U.S. markets. So um, from where we sit, the the three I would signal out are China, the retail investor, uh, and the U.S. election in November.
0: Great. Thanks for your time, Kim. Have a great week.
1: (laughs) All right. You too. Cheers.
0: Cheers. As always, you can find EPFR on LinkedIn and on Twitter at EPFR. To sign up to receive our EPFR daily exchange research, we spoke about here, you can visit financialintelligence.informa.com. For questions or to suggest a topic for an upcoming podcast, you can email EPFR exchange podcast at Informa.com.